Hello everyone, I'm Trent Luce. Welcome to another edition of Rural Route to the program where we gather every day at this time and on a red shirt Friday where we wear a red shirt to say thank you to the men and women who've given up so much for 247 years worth of freedom. But what we do here every day is gather and discuss the issues between food production and food consumption. John Frankman, if this happens again next week, it's going to be like a habit. You know that, right? You're getting lured into a regular contributor to loose programming. I guess I'm either doing something right or doing something wrong. We'll find out. <laughs> or people just didn't grasp all of the monstrosity of information you gave last time and we had to come back and rehash it. But again, thank you for your service. Uh, former Green Beret. Is that the proper way to say that? Yep, that works. Ex-Green Beret, former Green Beret, whatever you want to call it. Um, You know what? Let's do something basic before we get into issues of the day. What does it take to be a Green Beret? So as you enlist, you can go straight in. So you can, let's say you go the enlisted route, you'd go enlist, you do basic training, you do uh, one station unit training to be uh, just an infantry soldier. After that, you'd go through um, some special forces assessment and selection. So they have some kind of pre-course that you do. And this is where the officers will meet up. So to be an officer, you have to have already been basically I, up to a captain. So I was an infantry officer beforehand. You have other people branching in. So you have to have been an officer for like three or four years before you then go and try out. So the tryouts, it's three weeks. It's special forces assessment and selection. The first week is called uh, gate week. And during that time, you have ruck marches, runs. They will tell you no watch, unknown distance. You'll have IQ tests. You'll have personality tests. And yeah, they're just really figuring you out. You'll do then a week of land nav, then a week of team week where you're carrying more weight than you ever thought was possible, further than you thought possible. And as far as people not really understanding what kind of mental toughness is taken, I would just say if you've never walked to the point where you're falling asleep while you're walking, if you've never smelled ammonia from your body because you're burning muscle, like you're working that hard, like that's that's just kind of the starting point or that's, that's really where you're going to end up. So you go through that. Then as an officer, I went through the captain's career course, the special operations force captain career course, which is a few months long, a lot of planning. Uh, then you go through a couple of year course and it's small unit tactics. It's survival, evasion, resistance and escape where you put in a prison camp, you're you learn how to kind of survive because you're in that profession where if you're doing your job right, you're behind enemy lines and there's the possibility you get captured and our kind of like capstone activity is called Robin Sage, where we are put in a scenario where we pretend that basically North Carolina invades, uh, well, Virginia invades North Carolina, we're allies with South Carolina, and we're trying to overthrow the government. So we're working with a guerrilla force, living in the woods, operating out of a guerrilla base, and trying to use whatever assets and resources we can to conduct unconventional warfare behind enemy lines. After that, we have six months of language training because one thing that makes Green Berets different from every other special operations branch is that we work by, with, and through people. We have five different special forces groups, and each of these groups is aligned to a different continental command. So I focus on Southcom. I learned Spanish for six months. And before leaving the course, I went to military freefall school. So I got to skydive for a bit. Did you say you got to skydive or you got pushed out of a plane and you weren't willing? Oh, I was willing. <laughs> so it was quite a quite a rush, but uh, maybe I wouldn't have done it on my own. But yeah. So you said so many things there that were fascinating. First one, it caught my well, many things caught my attention. But 
I was sitting here trying to think myself. I believe that I've been in some excruciating ranch activities over a period of time, but I don't believe I've ever smelled ammonia from my own muscles breaking down. That's definitely an experience that was much more ranger school. So I was an infantry officer before going uh, special forces. So with that, had to go to infantry basic officer leadership course, ranger school, and definitely had that smell because you're just food deprived. So when you're running out of fat, you go to muscle. Right. And and so then that leads me into the next question. And I've had an issue with the military for a long time, actually, John, in this regard. I don't believe that uh, the proper nutritional guidelines have been presented to our greatest fighting warriors in the world. But is, is there a diet regimen that comes along with this extreme rigorous physical activity? There are uh, two bags of MREs, meals ready to eat. So it's about 4,000 calories a day. And I think that they kind of focus more on the calories before they get to macros and then before they get to vitamins and minerals and yeah, somewhat processed. So I, I, to share concerns about kind of general food consumption for Americans. Um, but I would say probably not getting the most nutritional while you're in ranger school, but. And when it really jumped out at me and I spent quite a bit of time at one point in time, a few years, 10 years ago, John, on this, we were at Fort Carson with the all American beef battalion feeding 5,000 troops that day. And we were in the, I guess you call it the mess hall. And up on the wall was a USDA food guide pyramid. And it, it was recommending that nobody in the military get whole milk. Well, now, just two weeks ago, we have tremendous data coming from the University of Chicago, believe it or not, that says mm -hmm. that fat from whole milk and meat is actually very beneficial in fighting disease, including cancer. And I've been on that path for a long time. And in here, I saw where the military is suggesting you do not consume whole milk. The very nutritional ingredient that God gave us to, when we came into this world. Well, I think that one of the good things about going through this whole COVID shot mandate nonsense and realizing that this COVID vax is totally unnecessary um, was that I started to question a lot more of what I've been told with regards to the FDA, with regards to the food that we've been eating, how processed it is. So hopefully a lot of people are asking these questions and trying to get back to more nutritional food, less processed, so they can just live longer and live healthier. You're spot on. I've had the ability to uh, get people to understand the importance of cholesterol, how um, nitrates are essential, all of these elements. I mean, look at eggs. Eggs were demonized so bad for contributing to cholesterol and heart disease. Right. And I went back in 1900. In 1900, there was a paper published in the National Institutes of Health that says that eggs, and particularly the yolk from eggs in the stomach, does wonderful things for gut bacteria, but it also identifies toxins and goes to the toxin and neutralizes it. Well, seems like that would be kind of important. Absolutely. It, it's just unacceptable and we got to wake up and we have to really question a lot of the institutions and what they've been telling us. So uh, I want to finish up the Green Beret training. We've always been told, and it sounds like it's about a 50-50 split on whether you're preparing for mental or physical toughness. It's It's both and it's almost impossible to not think of it as both. I prepared greatly for the special forces assessment and selection and worked up to, I think, an 18 mile ruck march and 
but yeah, you have to have that no quit mentality. And I remember just being at land nav and there was one captain there and it was just cold. And he's, he's thinking about everything he's going to have to do ranger school, the rest of the course, and he just quits. So you, you have to have both components and it would be impossible to not have some level of both components getting in. And it's, it's, it's a both and it's not a 50, 50 for sure. Would you do it again? Absolutely. I would do it again. It's unfortunate kind of how things turned out, but I think I was put in the right place at the right time. And I think some of my leaders, they, they said, Hey, you know, you're a great guy. You're doing excellent. It's just bad timing. And I sometimes respond, no, I think that God put me in this place. I don't know if other individuals, as we kind of went over the last show, mm-hmm. not getting the COVID shot, leaving because of that. I don't know if they would have held the same grounds. And I think that kind of example helps show how absurd those these ideas, these policies are, and it's putting me in a position now to fight back. Uh, let's just, for the last minute of this first segment, John, kind of rehash in case people missed it. You left the military, the United States Army, uh, for body sovereignty. Right. Well, I left because my religious beliefs that I did not want a shot that was involved in abortion uh, the with the testing and the creation with these COVID shots. And I didn't think that a disease that I have a 99.9% nine percent chance of surviving that I already have natural immunity for merits me being involved in those sins of abortion murder and theft of a child's body part so I left the military because of the opportunities I lost out on John Frankman my guest on this red shirt Friday how appropriate that we have a veteran who's still fighting every single day and I've said before and I'll say it again I have as much faith in the veterans as I've ever had and they are going to be our leaders taking us back to freedom we'll be back with more roll route on this red shirt Friday John Frankman after this Well, in today's world, many people are talking about nitric oxide as a part of healthy living. But Dr. Nathan Bryan steps in here because how do we know the difference between one nitric oxide supplement and another one, Nathan? Well, there's several things you look for. Is the people that are that are formulated or backing that product ever published a paper in the nitric oxide literature? Do they know anything about the basic enzymology and biochemistry of nitric oxide? Because here's what people do put a lot of ingredients in a bag or in a capsule and call it nitric oxide. You have to understand how the human body makes nitric oxide. You got to understand what goes wrong in people that can't make it. And then you got to provide product technology that actually fixes the reason you can't make nitric oxide. If you're low in testosterone, you don't give precursors or things because you've lost the ability to produce testosterone. What do you do? You actually give the actual molecules. Same thing with women with hormone replacement. Full details and order the product at no2u.com. That's N-O, number two, letter U.com. Put trend as your coupon code and I pay the shipping. Wait a minute. That's not good. Welcome back. Roll route. Trent Lewis alongside John Frankman joining us former Green Beret. We've walked through what it takes to be a Green Beret. Now we are here. And uh, last time we talked about the decimating of the morale and destroying the recruiting efforts of the United States military because of what is taking place today. I don't think anybody can dispute that. Obviously, Senator from Illinois, Dick Durbin, cannot dispute that because he suggests maybe these fighting age single men that are coming across the border illegally, maybe, maybe John, we should just ask them to be a part of the military and grant them some citizenship. Are we that stupid on history where this is taking place? What happens? Well, I don't think we're looking at what's happening in Europe right now where they can't keep up and replace their own people and they have mass migration. And now they're wondering why they're having so many pro Hamas rallies, so many 
uh, attacks by illegal immigrants into their own countries. So I guess we're just trying to set ourselves up and not learn from actually not even history, just current events in Europe. How severe is the recruiting for the United States military today? It's extremely severe. And I think 21, 22, it's, it's been as bad as it's been since, since Vietnam. Um, and I think that they're actually trying to shrink the size of the army to, to compensate for it. I believe I saw 20% lower than ex- expected, anticipated. And you really do need between private to sergeant, like E1 to E5, that's, that's a large percentage, a large majority of the military. Now, the backbone of the military are the NCOs, but those lower level enlisted is kind of who you need to man those those maneuver brigades. So those infantry uh, battalions, brigades, the same with the armor brigades as well. So it's it's a huge problem and it's not going to make us combat effective or ready. And what are your thoughts about recruiting these illegals to be a part of the military? I think that Democrats are intentionally making a lot of crises and they are holding the country hostage. I don't see how you think of any other way than that. And I don't think just if you're paying any attention the last, I don't know, four years, one year, whatever, that they created this crisis with recruiting. And they did so by one, kicking out the service members who didn't get the shot, doing this ideological purge of conservatives and just straight up critical thinkers and people who are law abiding or self-conscious about their health. So now that helps create the recruiting crisis. They continue to push this DEI nonsense where we have just transgender service members just being able to get their surgeries paid for, having to call them by their proper name. So people who love America are a lot more disillusioned and it's a volunteer force. You have to make it so people want to volunteer. So now you're creating this crisis. You have another created crisis, which is the illegal immigrants who are coming through the border where Biden has zero intent of trying to stop them. It's it's a tough spot for Republicans, but they're going to continue to come through. Even if you give money, I think they're just going to try to process them in faster. So it's a terrible idea. You need, So you're part of a team. You're willing to die for your country and you take an oath to support and defend the Constitution of the United States. If your first act within America is breaking law by coming in illegally, how are you going to follow the Constitution? Do you know what the Constitution is? In order to have a country, you have to have a culture. And there's not that common culture. You just came over the border. It's it's absolute insanity. And it just puts us in a terrible spot. And it's another attempt to just continue to co-opt these three-letter agencies. I mean, the DOD, if that is co-opted by the left and is an agency that can be then weaponized against conservatives, it's terrible. It's, it's just done. Well, it seems as though anybody who disagrees with government today is labeled an extremist. And by the way, I'm going to give credit to that for a guy who didn't have a D behind his name. In fact, had an R with the Patriot Act and his name's George W. Bush. But you and I are now because of our Christian views, because we take a stand against things we don't like within a government that's supposed to be a representative republic. We're labeled extremist. And so they think they have tools to do something about that. Right. It's if you disagree, you're an extremist. And really, people say that it's people of religion who are the ones that are nonsensical. Well, Democrats, that's a religion for them. If it weren't, there would be no reason why they would continue. Uh, We see the economy getting worse. We see just morality, people's general happiness just getting worse. But you continue to vote that way because, oh, thank God, it's just not the mean orange man. So it's just absolute insanity. And yeah, I remember just being kind of called extremist to some extent on my way out of the military, having 
the exit interview uh, for refusing the COVID shot, just being told, just asking certain questions, going to a dark place. I just tried to ask, do you think this order is legal? Do you realize it requires an FDA approved shot? And just being asked, have you heard of the Crusades? It, it, it's just some absolute craziness that uh, the people that are disagreed with, rather than having a common lot or a common sense, logical, rational conversation about the pros and cons, you just have to be uh, demonized and called extremist, racist, whatever else it is. I got to ask you about this because you referenced it three times. So um, I think the Democrats are doing what Democrats do. I am more upset with the Republicans who are not doing what conservatives are supposed to do. This is a, a problem across the board in my mind, not just a Democrat problem. I agree. It's extremely frustrating. And I was looking at the NDAA proposals and very, very rarely kind of referencing getting service members back in who were discharged. And that's something that I've been trying to get up on the Hill to fight for and just not making a net, a just automatic return. But yeah, I don't know why Republicans just won't fight. I wonder if it's just you get into office and you just work more on maintaining your office or thinking of it as a job where if you don't see this as a fight between good and evil right now, you're blind or you have no kind of moral compass because that's what it is. And our country cannot continue to exist the way we're going. $33 trillion in debt. I think that's about like $100,000 of debt per each individual. Now, if you're listening right now, ask yourself, can you pay off $100,000 in debt? Maybe you're a more responsible citizen than the others listening. But what do you think about asking those other folks without a job, just getting government handouts, like whether they can do that. Well, that's going to come back and bite us. We can't continue this forever. This might be the fall of the Republic if we don't turn things around and seriously fight for our country. I can't describe it adequately, John, but I have at least 10 people who I would call close friends who I was friends with before they entered the United States Congress or Senate. They become different people. Uh, I, I haven't experienced that at the state level, but I definitely experienced it in D.C. It's almost like as if they get, pun intended, an inoculation when they get there and, and they lose the, the root cause of why they wanted to go there to begin with. Well, that's definitely sad and sad and depressing. And I wonder how we... I mean, obviously we have we have voting. We can try to hold them accountable in that way. We can try to pressure them, but it's very difficult and it's an uphill battle when the media is pretty much co-opted, totally taken over by the left, at least mainstream media. So we'll pray for them. Well, we don't have a chance to fix it with elections until we change the elections, until we vote on election day, until we vote by hand with the paper and pencil and somebody counts the votes and i'm sick and tired of people telling me that can't happen we got too big of a deal it's been proven it does happen because right now the election system even at the local i'm not just talking about president even at the local level is completely manipulated you can look at the data and see that and now i am labeled an extremist because i believe i want transparency right well i would like transparency as well and the unfortunate thing is that even though we have reason and very good reason to kind of doubt elections or to be unsure about the validity or, or how secure they are, how accurate they are, that is still the means we have right now in order to for change. So to try to encourage conservatives to get out there to vote, to bring your friends to go and vote, 
thinking that we have 40% of people, or you said that was a generous number last time that are mm -hmm. actually getting out there and voting, but trying to get out there involved, get involved in your primaries. If you don't have a good primary candidate, consider being a primary candidate yourself and running or supporting those solid folks in primary candidate positions, voting then, raising awareness. It's, it's, it's what we have right now. And we work with the tools that we have. And there's a, there's a saying, STMFP, solve the mother effing problem. And, you know, whatever hands you're dealt, you just have to solve that problem. And that's where we're at right now. We just got to solve it. It might sucks that the deck's stacked against us, but we just, it's, it's required for the preservation of our nation. Hey, nobody said it was going to be easy. It's just a matter of we cannot sit back and not engage in the process. John Frankman, my guest, and I was a little worried where he was going with that acronym, but he did it very well. We'll be back with the second half of Roll Route after this. It is one day closer. I guess everything's one day closer, but January the 6th. I'm starting to get people ask me now about the National Western and what exactly is going to take place on January the 6th. We have the All-American Beef Battalion once again going to feed veterans and anybody who shows up at the bread female sale. That's the first day. And now I have the full schedule at 10.30 a.m. that morning. We're going to have a panel discussion talking about what's bugging you. You know the pun there? What's bugging you? Are you worried about insects taking over beef? We're going to have a panel discussion from 1030 to 12. At 12 o'clock noon, Mountain Time, we will serve. The All-American Beef Battalion will serve whatever number of people show up. And then at 1.30, we're going to have another panel discussion about the beef industry and where is the labor coming from. That's what January the 6th looks like. And that's just the first day of the 2024 National Western Denver, Colorado. I've been saying the old field's coming back, and it is taking shape quite well. More details at thenationalwestern.com. Welcome back. Roll route, Trent Loose on a red shirt Friday, moving into our second half of the program. John, we got to, um, we must provide a little uh, optimism when we go forward. I know that we talk about getting engaged, voting, running for office. But quite frankly, when you start showing up with a large group of people at county commission meetings, at school board meetings, you understand that you can make a difference just by your presence. It's even better if you speak, but just by your presence, it influences these people who, when when there's nobody sitting in the audience, they really don't feel the same level of accountability. That's absolutely right. And I think I've noticed just by going to Congress, by visiting different doors, even though I'm just one service member, one person, they recognize that I'm representative of a number of other people who have the same concerns. So you going there is standing up for other people who are thinking the same way that might be either too busy or just uh, maybe too lazy to go themselves. How active are you in that regard? Right now, that's kind of my main focus. Uh, my main focus, I feel that God has kind of called me to really fight based on this thing. Um, to it's And it's not just about the mandates. It's, it's about government intrusion on many, many things. So it's mm -hmm. trying to get out on interviews as much as I'm asked to do so. It's visiting whenever it makes sense to go meet with different offices. So I've been up to DC twice for about a week each time, have met with uh, over a dozen kind of different staffs and offices to speak with either reps themselves, senators themselves, or their staffs to try to explain to them what has happened to the military, what has happened to service members and the problems that they're going to have if they don't solve this issue. And unfortunate thing is there's just very few of them that are even able to listen 
and they're listening, but it's really hard to hear because of sort of the level of bandwidth. So that's kind of my focus right now. And as I am out of the military and starting to look for work, it's going to be trying to figure out some way to sort of use the gifts God gave me for the greater good, which I think needs to be in order to help this country. So then you've uncovered the pet peeve that I have with the representatives that we elect in that um, it's hard to to sit down and have a discussion one-on-one with the individual that represents you. And it's somewhat easy to have that 20-something staffer that they employ, that the staffer, whether they were instructed to or not, they feel like they're somehow going to protect the the representative, the congressman or the senator, from so much of that bandwidth. And so they start they start selecting and choosing what they actually pass on to the person who you gave them wanted to give the information to. It is the Achilles heel of the representative republic we have in my mind. I think that it takes persistence, and I understand why it's an issue, right? Because you have this representative who's representing hundreds of thousands of people who just as a matter of physical impossibility wouldn't be able to spend time with every individual. So therefore they kind of put things through their staff. And that's similar to how I think that a military battalion runs where you have the battalion commander, he's presented with information. You have the S2, the Intel operation cell kind of taking in the information, the operations section, the S3 is really trying to gather and give good courses of action. So it's trying to make sure that your team is fluid and well-working. Now, one of the issues is having these younger staffers, having a lot of turnover in your office. So not only do you really need to be like one, someone who understands what the problems are, two, has the moral courage to do it. But three, I think a good manager of people to be able to kind of run your team well. So that might require a good chief of staff or something like that. So that's why it's good that we have the meat like well good so good media to continue to pressure to continue to pass that message on because unfortunately seven rule seven habits of highly effective people right they have this this section where they talk about what's urgent and not urgent and what's uh important and not important and right now what i think this issue is that i'm working on is it's urgent but it might not be or it's it's important but it might not be seen as urgent because well the mandates went away two years ago right Well, we're seeing the fruit of not being able to solve that, which is the recruiting crisis and just kind of illegal DEI nonsense, more illegal stuff happening within the military, woke things happening. So to try to allow uh, the the congressmen to focus on those those right things. So not trying to make excuses for them, understanding the difficulties, but but man, this is it's been years. Where where are we at? What are we doing? Like the more we just had NDAA proposals go up that talked about they're going to consider bringing us back that they're only going to consider the people who submitted religious exemptions. Well, this was an illegal order. I, where are the damn hearings? I've been, we've been trying to ask for them for, for years and it makes no sense. Like we, we can explain it's illegal. We can explain that uh, it's medically unsafe. Just give us a freaking platform to do it. Like anybody, you can do a regional hearing. We don't need the whole house armed service committee to agree to do this, even though Republicans have the majority. So it's it's absolutely infuriating too. So I'm not trying to make excuses, but man, it's it's infuriating. Well, potentially the uh, the represent or uh, Republicans lost the majority this week if Kevin McCarthy leaves. Well, it sounds like he is, and my thoughts on that are: if you were, if you're not willing to stick out your term for your own constituents, I mean. You should have never been in the you should have never been speaker, let alone in the house. That's crazy. How are you going to just 
you were so concerned about having a majority or a slim majority, and now you're going to continue to leave and hurt the party, hurt the country. Uh, that's in, I, I don't know what your thoughts are on, but no, it, I, it's that's the worst kind of traitor I, I can't imagine. Like, how do you leave the people who put you there? Right. And then expelling Santos, I was upset with uh, everyone trying to push to expel Santos. At some point, when can you just be pragmatic and say, one, this guy doesn't have an actual conviction Two, for pra sake of pragmatism, we need to continue to control majority because whatever the heck this dude did on his own time mm -hmm. is not worth kind of crucifying him in order to hurt the whole country by giving the power to the communists, to the people who hate this country and are trying to rapidly change it for the worse. One thing that's very apparent with you, John, in conversation is your training continues to come through. And I kind of think about things as a lone wolf because I've just always been out there doing things. Don't worry about who comes along with me. Every sentence when you talk about dealing with the situation that's in front of us you talk about your team and i really admire that and i know that where you get that but i think we all need to think about the team approach more often yeah absolutely and i would say every team i was on i was never the best at at what i did maybe just in bringing people together and being a leader but it's recognizing that there are a lot of gifts talents and especially as a special forces detachment commander i've been in special forces for you know a number of months but other guys my team sergeant he's been there for over a decade other senior enlisted they've been there for decades you have to rely on that experience you have to work together and maybe it's i don't know maybe it's an ego thing where people in power have to be the smartest one around them well i would love it if gosh i had a staff that everybody else was smarter than me so i could just listen to them and try to make the best decisions based on the information provided well, that ultimately is probably Kevin McCarthy's problem, and it's uh, too many problems along the way. Where if somebody thinks it's there's a, someone smarter around them, they tear them down and leave. I tr I've always tried to surround myself with people that are smarter than me because I can't learn anything if I'm the one talking. Right, and I think that uh, what I what I was telling someone the other night is that I know enough to know that there's a whole lot I know more than others, but there's a whole lot I don't know. And it depends on every every area. Like I just got my master's in theology. Well, I know a whole lot to know that, hey, I have a little bit more knowledge about this than others, but there's a whole lot I don't know. And being able to recognize when other people can have some kind of input and something of value. And how about all those areas where I don't have that master's, all those areas I don't have experience in? Well, just kind of approach things humbly or else you're not going to be able to grow. I mean, definitely have confidence in yourself and the gifts God gave you to move forward. But yeah, we, we have a lot, uh, a long ways to go with the country. Uh, final thing in this segment, John, a year ago, November, uh, first week of November 2022, I was at Eagle Pass right in front of the, the Rio Grande River, in front of Pedros Negros. I had a tour from the Texas National Guard. They told me that in the previous six months, there had been an acceleration of single males coming from three countries, Iran, China, and Russia. We now have a lot of discussion about that taking place. In fact, the day before I was there, 1,600 males showed up from Venezuela, many of them from those three countries, but it funneled through Venezuela to get there. How concerned are you about these single males that seem to be illegally uh, coming into our country left and right? I'm extremely concerned about it, and it's a huge problem 
I mean, we already talked about the numbers of people is just a huge problem within our infrastructure, but the possibility of having some kind of a local attack is pretty great. And one of the things I, I think is that as long as kind of Biden is in power, I'm sure these other countries will see that it's beneficial to just let him continue to destroy the country on its own. My concern is, you know, if somehow we get we get Trump back, in, if, you know, when we get Trump back in in 2024, the kind of chaos that is going to be wreaked or that kind of possibility, especially if it's ever advantageous for adversaries to go into a wartime situation with us, that these are kind of cells that they can have operate behind enemy lines because of how sort of diverse our country is. It's a lot easier to operate sort of within here. Now, maybe if the FBI was as worried about spying on them as they are on their own citizens, we might be okay and be able to detect them. Uh, but it's definitely maybe, maybe that's why we're giving them all a free cell phone, John. We, that that way we can track them. Hey, that's a that's a good idea. Maybe that's. The, <laughs> I don't think it's what's happening. Guys anyway, but right? I, I could be wishful. <laughs> <laughs> and and I also think it's a a greater probability that these men are here for when Trump doesn't get reelected, and what the, the uh, anticipated approach is going to be from many American citizens. Right. Well, it's it's so frustrating. And the whole idea of just these military age males, just single men coming in, they need to be back in their own countries fighting for them. Yeah. And I also think it's so funny that we have a supposedly racist country. Well, the country is so damn racist that we have all these uh, people who you know are from other countries that aren't white that just want to come here. So it can't be that racist, I guess. John Frankman, my guest, Red Shirt Friday. We are charging through December like it's actually going to come to an end at one point in time. We're almost halfway there. We're ha over halfway through this conversation. We'll be back with the last segment. Roll out after this. Let's spend a moment and talk about crop protection. We're protecting from insects. We're protecting from weeds. And the Apache sprayers get it done with efficiency, reliability, and second-to-none service. Simpson Farm Enterprises, based in Hayes, Kansas, with locations throughout Kansas, Oklahoma, and Nebraska, obviously, and to Colorado as well. If you call and you want something, you will get it. SimpsonFarm.com for full details. Check out the reliability of the Apache sprayers. And I know that anybody in the marketplace today has a degree of reliability, but when you have the reliability backed with the service that you get from Simpsons, you really got something that'll get the job done. As a farmer, you got to protect yourself from the nutrients and the water that these plants and insects are robbing. That's why we need to support the technology to make it happen. Also in the Northern Plains, High Plains Apache. High Plains Apache Simpson Farm Enterprises have partnered up to make this message possible and would encourage you to stop in the store, either in Mandan or over by Fargo. Better yet, the store on the World Wide Web, HighPlainsApache.com. Check out the Apache Sprayer technology today. Welcome back. Trent Luce alongside retired Green Beret. Not really retired. He's a former Green Beret. He didn't want to retire. He didn't have a choice. Uh, John, you told me last time that you had to choose between serving the Lord and being a priest and serving the country. Don't you find it somewhat fascinating that you spent time with the decision you made through the United States Army to stand up for freedom, which includes religious freedom, by the way, and now you have all of these life experiences, which puts you in a great position to do both. 
you're still serving the Lord and bringing the message to people about freedom and sovereignty, but yet you have all those years experience in the military and what that brought to you, but you're at this time and place for a reason. I, I can't agree more. And yep. Like I was explaining, I spent four years in Catholic seminary, four years in formation and that's a time of prayer, time of human formation, of study, of getting to know God, of studying philosophy, better understanding how the world works and why it works the way it does. And then being able to practically apply that within the military career to get the infantry basic officer leadership course, ranger school, one of the best leadership schools, and then the special forces training where we're learning about unconventional warfare, how to overthrow governments, foreign internal defense, how you try to fight off insurgencies. And I, I'm extremely grateful for all the experiences that God has given me. And do want to use those for the best. And I think, yep, I'm in this position right now. And it's it's gave me the strength to not get the shot. I mean, that's that's more or less it. It's God's grace why I didn't. Uh, how much of this do you believe is just an attack on Christianity? I don't know if it's it's an attack on Christianity to the extent that Christianity stands for all that is good, true, and beautiful. So insofar as it's something that's unreasonable insofar as it's something that's trying to take power that should be given to God and bring it back down to larger institutions or to kind of the globalist power, right? Because what we see is a continued centralization of power. When you had the COVID shot come out, you gave more power to the states to enact emergency powers. You created crises where businesses were kind of shut down. They weren't able to survive, but then you had these larger businesses Amazon, others continue to amass power. We had certain banks that weren't able to make their payments. They failed. And then we have these larger banks kind of continuing power. We have votes going towards the World Health Organization, trying to give them a lot more power and trying to do more things through the UN. So insofar as you're not allowing, I guess, individual states and and I think in that sense, when you have your national identity, since our, well, let's face it, our national identity is from a Christian background. Now, Protestant Christian background here in the United States, other countries in Europe, more Catholic background, but trying to wipe out that that identity, those Judeo-Christian values, which is, you know, Western civilization because of the church, because of, of Christianity. And you're, you're creating a new set of cultural values. So in that sense, it's a huge culture war. It is a huge attack on Christianity. And I know I just said a lot, so I'll let us unpack it. <laughs> Well, it seems to me, and and I heard this rumbling all through, I'm 57, so I heard this along my life, but never did I see it unfold as much as I do today where war is a rich man's fight and a poor man's battle. And so it's pretty clear, and, and I picked up on it in what you talked about, particularly with the World Bank, and it's unbelievable that a few families can have such a foothold on what happens around the world. And when it's time to just flip the switch, they bring about the Boer Wars or World War One, and then World War II and Vietnam and all of these things. I would really love your take on how all of these, oh, let's just take the events of yesterday, 1941, December 7th, 1941. It's pretty well documented that FDR knew that attack was coming and did not prepare because he wanted to be able to pull nationalism, pull the United States into that war. How do you resonate with all of that? And where do you think that takes us? Well, I will just 
be humble and admit that uh, that's something I don't know enough about to speak intelligently on. I think there's a whole lot, uh, yeah, that I, I have to learn. And, you know, just like I said, a whole lot I know I don't know. So, um, but we definitely do need to be kind of aware that there are powers that do have, don't necessarily have our best interest in mind. And I think that we can see it a little bit more clearly with what you referenced, George Bush, the Patriot Act. Let's mm -hmm. look at how that emergency, that crisis was used to take over our power. And then just looking at COVID recently, how that was used to take over our power. Um, and it's, it's totally unfortunate that these larger people can see kind of humans as kind of pawns to some extent uh, to just be used uh, for whatever manipulative ends. Which is taking place in the Ukraine and in Israel and Palestine right now. And we have individuals in D.C. willing to fund the the sacrifice of individual people's lives in those countries where they're being ethnically cleansed. Well, I don't know why we're having uh, right now more money going towards Ukraine. That's not making sense. I'm not sure what kind of progress we're making at all there. And it's just continuing to deplete the Ukrainian population. They can't fight Russia forever. And if it were such an attack on democracy, why is the U.S. the one that's footing the bill? Mm -hmm. Isn't Europe that much closer? Don't they have what other countries actually loan other countries money to fight their wars? Are there others? Are we just this bank that we can just keep printing money and then we'll then eventually fail and everybody else will move on? So it, it's absolutely uh, absurd. Well, again, it comes back to the same premise that I have every day and you've already explained. They're going to continue to do that as long as we allow them. We need to be so loud that they say, no, not going to do that anymore. And I think that somebody had a quote where a democracy dies when over half the people are able to receive free handouts, when they can just vote to continue to receive money. And that kind of makes sense where how do you how do you then motivate people to turn off kind of this this free spigot where people can just continue to receive, even if they're not putting giving anything back? And that's where I like that book, Starship Troopers, where you had to actually have military service to be a citizen to vote. So, I mean, with with rights, there should be responsibilities. And right now we are just having a lot of rights going on, but we're not having a lot of responsibilities. We're not having a lot of people giving back. So it's trying to figure out how do we how do we correct that as well? How do we get that kind of ownership back to the country? I made a statement early on in this conversation that uh, I had a tremendous amount of confidence in our future because of the leadership and patriotism of the veterans. You are in that community. Do you sense that... Um, what What is your take on where the veterans who you served with and maybe those you didn't serve with, but you know, what do they feel about the optimism of the country and how long are they going to let these things take place without saying we're going to find a path now for solutions? Well, a lot of them are trying to solve the problem because they see that there is such a problem and that nothing's happening. And it's been great talking to retired guys who they were very supportive of me when I was still in and making the stance that I did. And uh, J.M. Phelps, he wrote an article for Epic Times where we have service members who are choosing to go and to run for Congress. And I was just texting Joe Kent, and he's an amazing, amazing guy, former Green Beret, running for Congress in Washington. So having individuals like him, my friend Matt Shoemaker, uh, Mara Macy, those individuals trying to run, trying to maybe even primary some rhinos and stuff like that. And then other uh, other veterans I've talked to in the Bitcoin community, they're trying to come up with creative solutions to help us through these financial crises. So I think there is some kind of activism. Is it enough to kind of win over? I'm not sure. But, you know, 
let's just take it back to God. And what we're called to do is to be faithful. We can always save our soul. There's always hope in Jesus Christ. Whether the country, no countries last forever, but we should do whatever we can to help preserve it. And we should have hope and also just be joyful about the crosses that we have. So I'm kind of excited about the challenges that we have ahead, uh, as difficult as they may be. You just prompted a thought that I hadn't really given much time to because I, I just I'm not wired to think that the answer government created the problem. Government's not the answer because you you sure. walked through this pretty well early on and that government has created something. Now they're pretending to be the solution. Well, you're not. You created this right. on purpose. But with that said, if we had a concerted effort to find veterans such as yourself that took an oath to this nation. Uh, to the Constitution for love of country, and we we assisted in getting them in elected positions, that can only be a positive step. It would certainly be a positive step. And I think the extent that we have a federal solution is insofar as you are shrinking that federal government, insofar as you're giving as much power Absolutely. back to people at the local level. So when I say federal government, I usually think of, let's just shrink that, that federal debt. Let's try to get maybe even a... Uh, a, a, a budget um, with the amendment to just not have any extra debt at the end of the year, I think that would shrink a lot of those different three-letter agencies, a lot of that extra spending that's not necessary, allow states to do what they need to do. But I think more than anything in what our founding fathers predicted is that this government's only fit for moral people. Really, a lot of the things that you have to legislate or that are legislated now, they shouldn't have to be legislated. It should Doing good. Well, there you go, John Frankman. You start talking about legislators trying to uh, legislate morality, and boom, they kick us off. We had a little technical glitch. We're back. Would you give us a, a little wrap-up today on what you think we should most know? Right. I think that whatever – you need to be a moral people. And our, our founding fathers, they understood that you needed to be a moral people in order for the government to succeed. And the government can't legislate and tell us to do everything explicitly – it has to be kind of self-ownership. It has to be us trying to strive for that excellence, trying to follow those precepts that God has given us to be a better people, a more virtu virtuous citizen. You, you, we shouldn't have to be legislating that women can't, can be men or can't be men, men can't be women, that you shouldn't kill children up until the point of death. These should be just very innate things that we understand as a human person, that we can understand from the natural law. So sending legislators up there, it, it's not going to do anything unless we end up being a more virtuous, moral people ourselves. John, thank you for your service. Thank you for coming to share this. And um, I don't know if I'll call on you next week, but we're definitely going to do it again. Sounds good, Trent. I look forward to it. And that is the moral of the story, folks. We just continue to try to legislate morality. We talk about no accountability at the top end of the spectrum of this pyramid that we're a part of. Truth of the matter is, maybe all of us, including John and myself, need to look in the mirror and say, how can I be a better person? How can I be more virtuous? And what else can I do to celebrate and be a mission for Jesus Christ? That may be where it all starts. No maybe about Amen. it. It is. We've successfully journeyed down the road, connecting food producers to food consumers. Once again, thanking all veterans and looking forward to what we accomplish together going forward. We both remind you that all roads do lead to a rollout. 
Well, this will be the last time I mention Cross Diamond Red Angus. Well, because the sale happens on Monday. 250 Red Angus bulls, 450 Red Angus influenced bred females, Bertrand, Nebraska. If you've not gotten the information, go to the website today, CrossDiamondCattle.com. The All-American Beef Battalion will be feeding on Sunday night. The 9th, oh no, that's the 10th, and then the sale itself is on the 11th. CrossDiamondCattle.com. Thanks to Scott and Kim Ford.